If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to uh, Galatians once again. And we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5 this morning, uh, studying what it has to say to us about this whole issue that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. As we began Galatians study several weeks ago, I shared with you that the problem in Galatian, in the Galatian church, or the church in Galatia, was that, uh, or actually the, the history of it was that Paul had st- planted those churches in, in the Galatian area and uh, left them kind of to grow and to be on their own and as, you know, birthing churches there. And as he did so, what happened is uh, they grew for a while and they, and they made good progress. They were loving Jesus. They were following God's plan. Uh, but as sometimes happens, uh, as Paul expresses, there's something that threatened the churches, and that was that there was some false teachers that came into the church to tell them that, well, you can love Jesus, but you got to have some other stuff too. And uh, the sad thing is, is that that happens very often in the life of churches, that churches go through turmoil and they go through the place where, where they once started well, they get to a place where they start following uh, other things than the main thing of loving God and loving other people. The sad news that I found statistically uh, one of the statistics that I found to be saddened is that this year, in America alone, there will be over 3,500 churches that will close their doors and die. Now, I don't know if that disturbs you or not, but it should, because that's 3,500 p- potential points where God's love could be proclaimed, where people could come into relationship with God, could grow, but because they get off track and get focused on the wrong thing so often, what happens is, is that happened. Maybe you've been in the life of a church that got off track, uh, and, and, and that happened. See, the goal of the church that the Bible says, and the goal that we understand is that the goal of the church is to glorify God and, to, and, and glorify, uh, and follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and basically meaning to love God and love people. That's the goal of the church. But so often what happens is, is we get sidetracked by teaching that might seem to be true, but maybe is false teaching, which says there's something more than that, something that you need to add on to that as well. And so what happens so often is we find people who insert themselves between, between God and the people in the church, and they say, well, no, you've got to follow my teaching, and it's about me. But the thing we should do and understand is that we need to honor and imitate Jesus, not just a religious system or, or, or a person. It's about Jesus. It's kind of like a, the, the, it's kind of a humorous uh, picture that we see in the book of Revelation uh, where Jesus says, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you thought about that before, basically it's, it's, like, a, it's like this church that's having services and, and they got the doors locked and, and Jesus is outside, he's knocking on the door. And they're doing all the religious rituals and going through the practices and doing all the stuff, but there's no Jesus. And that can happen, sadly, in the life of a church. Uh, they figure they have everything figured out and they don't need Jesus. And we can do that in our life. We can be religious and go through rituals and be focused. It seems that we're good folks. And, and we can have our Bible even open sometimes and still be without Jesus. And that's what Paul is dealing with here in the Galatian church. And so in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he begins to address it once again. The first four chapters of Galatians, let me just say this, would what would be called more of the doctrinal section of Galatians as he sets forth this, this, this issue. But chapters 5 and 6, which we're going to look at for the next, starting this week for four Sundays in a row, chapters 5 and 6, uh, is really what I'd call the more practical, uh, dealing with some of the practical issues of life. And, and how this lives out in our lives about this difference between freedom and how and what freedom really is. 
So in chapter 5, verse 1, this morning I'm going to be reading from the New uh, Living Translation. If you have other translations, it'll be slightly different, but I chose this this morning because of the clarity of it. It says in verse 1, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Um, other translations uh, may say it's slightly different, but what is the freedom he's talking about here? See, we as people believe in America that freedom, it means that we have freedom to do as we choose. Is that true? We have freedom to do as we choose. But I want to tell you that we really are not free. The Bible tells us clearly that we are enslaved to at least two things. Every one of us are enslaved to at least two things. The first thing the Bible says that we're enslaved to is we're enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to sin. We know that's true because how many of you can live life perfectly, never sinning, never having the thought that's sinful? You just can't do it. We're a slave to sin. See, the whole social structure that we live in, this whole structure is really about dealing with sin, thinking about it. All the stuff that we deal with in our structure, counselors, um, laws, attorneys, courts, punishments, all those things are to deal with sin that we have in our culture. If there were no sin, we would have no need for any of those things. But we're enslaved. Every one of us are not truly free to do anything we want because we truly are enslaved to sin. And the only way that we can be that sin have the potential of living outside of that sin or living a life that is that is not enslaved to sin is that God changes our heart. The second thing that we're enslaved to, the Bible says, besides sin, is we're enslaved to death. Do any of you here believe that you're never going to die physically? Okay, I, I don't think I see anybody raising their hand here and say, yeah, no, no, I'm not never going to. The deal is, is that every one of us, unless Jesus comes back before before we die, every one of us will die. And and this is an encouraging sermon this this morning. But I just want to be real with you. That's what it is. We're enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to death. Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting. We can buckle up. We can put put, uh, put, uh, airbags in our cars. We can take vitamins. We can exercise and work out. We can drink water that's boiled and distilled and comes from a geyser in a foreign country where nobody shaves. And we're still going to die. That true? Yeah. We're a slave. We have no way of getting away from that. I mean, we might live a little bit longer. It might be a little healthier. But the issue is we're slave to sin. We're slave to death. And the good news is that Paul is telling us is that God knows our condition. And he has come to us and he has taken our human, our, on human flesh and he has lived without sin and he has died for our sins and he gives us the potential to live life free from this, this enslavement that we have to sin and to death. It kind of says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Paul's saying that we no longer have to be enslaved to sin and to death. It's, and the problem is so often we think it's about morality, about right and wrong. It's about Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, it's about Jesus. Jesus and sin do not coexist. So guess what? The closer you get to Jesus and the more you love Jesus and the more you're focused upon Jesus, what's going to happen is, is the further you get from sin. 
It's, it's not about improving you. It's, it's, it's to honor him. It's to honor God. The focus, of Paul says, is off of ourself, and it's toward loving Jesus. See, Christian freedom, a Christian freedom is no longer about me. It's about loving Jesus. It's about having the potential in our life to love Jesus. Now, next week, when we look at the second half of chapter 5, we're going to talk about life in the Spirit, about how, how, the, how God gives us the power to live this life that is, that is um, not enslaved to sin. And what God wants to do is to build a relationship of intimacy and trust with us, with his people. And he says that if we would just, uh, the people in Galatia were trading this freedom they had, this freedom of living a life that it was not enslaved to sin and to death. And they were trading it for some guy who had a long list of rules, the Judaizers, and, and, he, and basically said, you know, as you walk further away from Jesus, you walk further away from, uh, from freedom, and they were going back into slavery. And so that's the scenario here that we see. He redefines, in a sense, what freedom is. And then in verse 2, he says this, verse 2 through 4. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation and the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. You know, the Bible teaches there's only two ways that you can get to God. You know that it teaches that? There's only two ways. You only thought there was one. But the Bible teaches there are two potential ways to get to God. Number one is is that uh, one is through what you do. It says that, yeah, you know, if you could live a perfect, holy life, you could have a relationship with a perfect, holy God. It says if you could follow the law perfectly. But Paul says if you think you can be in right relationship with God by following the law, by rule keeping, you need to obey not just some rules, you need to obey all the rules. That's what he's saying here again. He's already said this earlier in Galatians. He's saying it again. You know, which, which goes to say this. If we think that we can obey the laws, the more we think we, need, we can obey the laws, guess what it is? It says we don't, we don't need Jesus. We don't need Jesus because I can do it myself. I can follow the laws. I can be perfect. I can be holy. That's what we're saying. The more that we think that it's about us, the less that we think that we need Jesus. I can do it all by myself. And what's interesting is that we have, we can, we have this, this problem in our life. We have this, this, these, this, this, uh, uh, area where we think we either have either a high view of God and a low view of mankind, which ta- ta- Paul says that, you know, the early, the, the Galatian church had, or we can have a high view of mankind and a low view of God. You can't have both at the same time. And the Galatian church, they started with a deep affection for Jesus. They did. You saw it in the Galatian church. They started with a deep affection for Jesus, and they had a very a skepticism about their own goodness. But somewhere along the line, they figured out, well, you know, I can fix myself, so I'll start focusing on that. And correspondingly, they didn't see a great need for Jesus. See, at any point in our life where we elevate yourself and you elevate yourself and think that you can, your goodness uh, can, can, can fix yourself, then what it is, it correspondingly diminishes the need for Jesus in your life. See, that's what Paul's saying. You can't have both. If you think that goodness is going to get you to God, then in, in a real sense what happens is, is you have a, uh, a, a low view of God 
in a high view of mankind. And then he said, and the reason that he, he says this and how he says it here is this. He says, it's not about circumcision. Like, is circumcision right or wrong? It's neither or. It's, it's kind of neutral. And, 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 so, and so he says here, in a, in a real sense, he says, it's, it's not about, it's what it represents. It's saying that, well, if I do this, I can be holy. I can be more like God. I can, if I do these religious rituals, it makes me more like God. See, the problem is what we often want we follow Jesus Christ, but what we often want is a more obvious, measurable indicator than just Jesus. We do. We want this obvious, you know, measurable indicator that I am in Christ. And when faith is the main thing that we want to do, the problem is, is that we, we get, we get off track. It's like this, you know, some people say, well, you know, it's, it's, you, you, it's Jesus plus you got to be baptized. Is there anything wrong with baptism? No, it's good. It's something we do in obedience to Christ. But does baptism in and of itself save you? No. Just like he's saying here, circumcision in and of itself is not right or wrong, but it doesn't save you. You know, some people think, well, it's more, you know more of God's word and so it makes you more holy. Do people, is it possible that that there are people who, uh, (laughs) who know a lot about the Bible that can go, still go to hell? Yeah. Yeah, go, knowing the Bible, getting back, there's lot, there's people that have been baptized, dunked underwater, that still are in hell. Because that is not what gets you right with God. The Bible teaches, Paul is teaching us clearly here, that it's about Jesus, about trusting in Jesus. That it's about loving Jesus and allowing His Spirit to work in our lives in a real way. That's the freedom that we have. See, the main issue is not simply following laws. It's not obedience. It's, it's, it's about loving Jesus. Because when Jesus said on the cross, remember on the cross, the one thing, one of the last words that Jesus said was what? It is finished. What did he mean by that? He means it was finished. I've completed everything that needs to be done to allow people to have a relationship with the Father. I've done it all. You don't add anything to it. It's done. And that's what Paul was saying here. These Judaizers had come in and they said to the people, hey, yeah, you love Jesus, that's great, but you've got to do these other things, these religious things that will make you more holy. And then in verse 5 he says this, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Paul's not saying that all these other things are unimportant. He just says they're secondary. All these things like circumcision and things like baptism and other things, they're secondary. You know, uh, it's baptisms, uh, whether you're baptized or unbaptized, it doesn't make you a Christian. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, when you're Armenian or Calvinist, whether you're post-pre-trib or I don't care because I don't know what you're talking about. You know, any of these things, if you know, it doesn't make you a Christian. The thing that Paul says is, the question is this, do you love Jesus? If you don't believe, go read 1 Corinthians 13 because it says without love there is nothing. Scripture says 
that the bottom line is you can have every theological principle down pat and you can be every, do everything right and do all the, all the religious rituals, but without love of Jesus and love of God in your heart and affecting your life, then it's really nothing. See, the problem is that we let all kinds of things become the agenda in our life. Uh, and, and we can all, often forget about Jesus. We can have our hearts open, our lives open, our Bibles open, and we believe that, and, and, and without believing that Jesus is God, we really are without anything in our lives. And then he says this, it's a really interesting analogy. Paul often uses analogies that are, that are sports related. I thought after having the cross country track meet here yesterday, I thought it was a great analogy in verse seven. He says, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. For he is the one who called you to freedom. See, if you ever saw a person who started off, or a church that started off really on track, I mean really fired up, really in love with Jesus, really just willing to serve Jesus and really wanted to focus on him, but they got sidetracked along the way. And then they forget to love and trust Jesus. Because I have seen some, and I tell you, I, I serve, and I shared this before uh, a while back, but uh, I serve on a, a group that's called the Elder Board for our denomination. We belong to a small group of churches in the, basically in the Midwest called the uh, Fellowship of Evangelical Churches. And the Elder Board is made up of about six pastors. And what we do, our job is twofold. One is to credential or to, uh, to oversee people who are coming on as pastors in our denomination. The second job is to oversee church health. But I've come to find out something about that job description. It's really dealing with church unhealth. Because very rarely do we have people coming to us from the elder board perspective and saying, hey, hey, we're doing great. Could you just kind of like let us let, let you know that? No, it's always somebody having a problem. And I can tell you every time that we see that it's some church who gets off of the main thing. And they, they have this, this whole thing of, 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 of say, well, you know, they're going along in their, in their, in the church and they're focusing on some stuff. But then all of a sudden they, they have this idea, we're going to mature. We're going to get deeper. And, and I believe, I believe in study and I believe, you know, I study my Bible and, and I encourage you to study your Bible to know what God's truth is. But the issue is that they, they find something and they, and they start focusing on that one thing and that becomes the focus of the church and it takes them off in a direction and it's all about this. Or you believe this way or you believe this way and it's usually almost every time I can tell you it's not about essential doctrines. It's about non-essentials. Things that really have nothing to do with salvation. Every time. Because it's easy to get off track. Somebody hands you some kind of a funky Christian book, and you read it, and you're going like, wow, man, I want to do that. I mean, I've had people come to me all the time. What do you think about this book? Because they're all excited about it. They've read it, and it's, it's, it might be cool. It might be trendy. It might be whatever. There's a million funky Christian books out there, folks. But the issue is, does it, does it direct you toward loving God and loving Jesus more? If it doesn't, it's probably not going to help you too much. So Paul says, yeah, hey, you're running this race. You're going along pretty well. You can do that. It's real easy to get off track if you're not focused on the main thing. That's what Paul's saying here. You, You go back from being free in Christ which means that I have the freedom to love God and to experience the freedom of being free from the bondage and the slavery of sin and death. 
Yeah, you're going to die, but guess what? It says in Scripture, if you have Christ in your life, you live eternally with Him. And then he says this in verse 9. He says, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm not a baker, okay? I do not tend to be a baker, but I know that you put a little bit of yeast in stuff, and it works out. The, I mean, it's like a little bit, and it works through the whole batch, and it makes it affects the whole batch, right? Is that the way it works, bakers? Yeah, okay, some of you are shaking your head. Yeah, I mean, some of you are going like, I don't know. You're, I'm just as dumb as you are. But, uh, but the issue is, it's so easy to get off track. If you like just a little bit come into your life that gets you off track. You know, the thing is, is most of the time, it's not like all of a sudden we get, you know, we're going along as a Christian and all of a sudden we decide to be a mass murderer. No, that's not the deal. Is that we're going along a track, going with Jesus, and, all, and we just start going a little bit off track, Right? Just a little bit off skew. And after a while, we find ourselves further and further and further away from the main things that God wants to teach us, how he wants us to live. It doesn't start off by, you know, just this big decision to go in the opposite direction, very rarely. And so he's saying, hey, this false teaching, it's like that little yeast, that little bit that, that infects the whole batch, and it can direct your life in a way that you don't want to go. It can enslave you once again. And that's what's happening. It's what's happened here in the Galatian church. And then he says this in verse 10, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, whoever has been confusing to you. Uh, you know, it's kind of an optimistic thing that Paul, if you read this here, what he's saying to the Galatian church, he's not just negative. You know, he's not a negative Nelly. He's not somebody going along and saying, oh, oh, this is bad. He's going like, you know, I trust that the Lord is going to keep you from believing these false teachings, but I just want to point them out to you. Because if not, you will not deal with it, maybe. See, this, I really think, tells us how we, in a sense, judge what is false and what is true in regard to Christian teaching. See, the good teacher who is following God always points people towards Jesus. Always. The false teacher points people toward themselves. It's all about me. Follow me. Look at me. And you have enough discernment to understand that. So be careful. Because if I don't point you toward Jesus, don't follow me. And I try to point people toward Jesus. And that's what we're here at Great Oaks about. It's about pointing people towards Jesus, that he's the solution to the problems you have in life. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. He's saying the main issues here in these verses is that the gospel is sometimes offensive. Do you know that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is sometimes offensive to people. You know how I know that? I've been, I've been counseling people for years and years and years. And I've had people go out of my office, I know you can't believe this, mad. You know why they're mad? Is sin an offensive thing? Yeah. And the problem sometimes is this, is that we think that if we love somebody, that we will always just kind of like, we, have, we think that love is just warm, fuzzy. But love, the Bible says to speak the truth in love. 
And the truth of the gospel is it points people to the sin in their life. And what he's saying, Paul is saying here, he's saying, I've been still pointing this out. The sin in our lives right now, the Galatian church, is that we're going in this direction. We're following false teachers. And and he said, I'm being condemned for that. See, we tend, and this is something that I really, really uh, kind of grasped. It was a side issue this week, but as I was studying Scripture, something that came to my mind that is so strong here in Scripture is that we tend to project the wrong impressions of love on God. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this, God is love, right? That's what it says. God is love. But what it does not say is that love is God. Now, I know that's deep. It's deeper than... It took me for like three days to get wrap my head around this. But I was thinking, okay, what's the difference? See, love is a concept, a cultural concept. We have a cultural understanding of love, right? Where you live, it defines how you love. But we tend to project our cultural ideas of love upon God. God is love, yes, but love is not God. The way we understand God, we say things like, well, God couldn't do that. And we can't do that because that's not loving. You know, for instance, uh, sometimes in Scripture, if you read Scripture, does God ever do anything in Scripture that you kind of like cringe at? Like he rebukes people. He, he, he does things that, 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 that I sometimes don't define from a cultural context as loving, but guess what? That's not how we define it. It says God is love. Whatever God does is love. Not what we define culturally to be love and try to impress it upon God. You know, God, if if you really loved me, you would do this. But it's a cultural understanding of love. Do you understand the difference between that? God is love, but love is not God. Whatever God does, it means that God is love. Whatever God does is loving. And that's a huge understanding. If we can grasp that, sometimes it, it frees us from all kinds of baggage that we accuse God of doing. Because sometimes I don't understand. I mean, sometimes, you know, I mean, how many of you said things like, you know, when I get to heaven, you know, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this. I, I know probably if all of us are serious, we probably said that. But the issue is, is that we understand that God is love. It's whatever God does is loving. Now think about that. It's different than saying love is God. See, we judge what is loving by what God does. God supersedes, in a sense, our ideas of a morality, what is right and wrong culturally. So for some people, the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive because a person who is in sin does not like the gospel, the good news. Even though it is good news for them, ultimately. But the Bible says we're still to speak the truth in love. And when we do that, that's loving. Do you understand how what Paul's saying here about the, the gospel being offensive? It's not always just warm and it doesn't make us always feel good. It points out the things in our life that are, that are tough. And, and then we come to verse 12, which to me is my favorite offensive verse in all of Scripture. Verse 12, it says this, Paul says, and this is, a, I'll read both translations. I've got to read both. I've got to read NLT and NIV as well. 
uh, NLT says, I just wish that those troublemakers, talking about the Judaizers who said everybody needed to be circumcised, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. If you don't get what that means, let me read it out in NIV. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Do you hear what that says? I thought it was humorous. I was laughing in my office when I read that. I'm going like, oh, I can't believe Paul said that. Was he ticked off at him? Maybe. But he was saying, hey, guys, you know, you know, it's kind of like this. We have JV and varsity, you know, on football teams or on basketball teams, JV and varsity. And to move up to the varsity, you've got to be a certain skill level, right? And in a sense, what, what, the, what the Judaizers are saying, they're saying, well, in the Christian life, there's, there's JV and varsity. JV are those who just believe in Christ, but, you know, varsity is those who go the next step and are circumcised. Okay? But Paul says, hey, why not go pro? If you're going to go a little way, take off a little skin, just cut off the whole thing. That's what he says. Read it. It's in Scripture. I thought, well. We were laughing about that. This Lorena Bobbitt uh, proof text from Scripture. You know, <laughs> so that's what he's saying. I'm going like, wow, that's great. That's great, Paul. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> See, what Paul's saying here is you only go to heaven if you love Jesus and believe that he died for your sins. It's not about circumcision or any other religious ritual. It's about loving Jesus. And then in verses 13 and 14, he says for this, says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The problem that the Judaizers were, were looking at is a problem that's common. In Scripture, it's a problem. A problem that people people become Christians, and then we tell them the truth from Scripture, which says this: God will forgive all of your sins. Is that true? Is that true that God will forgive all of your sins according to Scripture? Yes. Does that mean? Let me let me just play the devil's advocate here a minute. Does that mean that you have committed adultery? That God can forgive you from that? Yeah. Does that mean that you have uh, that you have slept with somebody before you were married and God can forgive you for that? Yes. I mean, you can name any sin you want to name and God can forgive you for that. And we tell people that and, and they understand that, but then the legalists come in and the legalists say, well, you know, how do we keep people from keeping going on and doing those things over and over again? What we got to do is we got to have a list of rules and regulations and laws. And if we don't have those rules and regulations and laws, people will go outside the bounds because they have this freedom. So they make up lots of rules. And we believe that if we teach people the rules, they will not do that. Is that true? Does that stop people from, the, from sinning by having a list of rules in front of them and following the rules? No. Why? Because even though we're a new creation in Christ, the issue is, is we still have this internal problem in our lives. It's called rebellion. Because rules will not make us holy. What will? 
Paul says Jesus Christ and having his spirit living in our lives. That's the only thing. Let me ask you this. If you really, really love Jesus, will you be faithful to your spouse? You will. If you really, really love Jesus, will you wait to have sex until after you're married? You will. If you really, really love Jesus, will you not lie, steal, cheat, all those things? You will. Jesus said this as, said it this way. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Not because there's a list of rules, but because of the love you have for me and my Holy Spirit living in you, allowing you to do that, which we'll talk about more next week. Because trying to love, uh, trying to obey Jesus without loving him is impossible. It's impossible. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, when you really love God, you really love Jesus, he says, use your freedom to serve others. It gets you off of yourself. Freedom is not about doing anything you want. It begins to ask, biblical freedom means I am now free to do what God declares. You know, it says in Scripture, we lose our life to find it. And so the only way you can be transformed is through God's love and loving Him back. It's kind of like this. And I know this seems simplistic, but I think it's real. You know, if you have an alcohol problem, it's not an alcohol problem that you have. It's a Jesus problem. If you have a sexual problem, it's not a sexual problem you have. It's a Jesus problem. If you have an anger problem, it's not an anger problem you have. It's a Jesus problem. The solution to all those problems is loving Jesus, letting His Spirit work in your life to reshape you and mold you and let you live free from the power and the, and the enslavement of sin in your life. That's what Paul's saying in Scripture here. See, freedom... If we think it's to do anything we want to do, if, if we think freedom is not freedom is not to go from one sin to another, that's the idea that we have in culture. The freedom is to draw nearer to God. That we have that ability, that that power. And once we begin to love Jesus, and He lives in our life, and His Spirit lives in us, which means that we have the priorities of God, and allows us to live and to love people like we've never had before. Romans 5, 5 is a favorite verse of mine. It says, For we know how, how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. He empowers us to do that. God's love transforms us. And then the final verse is this. The final verse, uh, say, the final verse says this. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You're going like, man, that's an encouraging thing that he ended up with in this little section of Scripture. But no, it's, it's, it's a reality. He's saying this. You will destroy all that God has done if you don't love each other because that's the only thing that cannot be faked, God's love. It only comes through God's Spirit empowering our lives. And if you live in the kind of freedom that you think that makes you do anything you want to do, it's all about me, it's all about myself, it's all about my wants, my needs, what will end up happening is... You will bite and devour. You will actually destroy one another. The only way that we can live in Christian community, the only way that we can have a relationship with God and with other people the way God wants us to do is through Jesus living in our life and us loving him and living in his power. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. But it's not cultural freedom. It's biblical freedom. 
So let me ask you this question. Do you want to be free from sin and death? Do you want to be free from sin and death? The only way to do that is to focus your attention and your life upon Jesus Christ and loving Him and loving others the way that only He can empower you to do through His Spirit in your life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.